0: Recognizing that the only way to solve the problem was to build purpose built hardware for the situation where you've got physical people sitting in the same room and software that people use when they have their laptop or mobile phones in front of them.
1: Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Okay, everyone. Today we have Sean Sinha, who's the CEO of Hi5, which makes your meetings awesome with insanely simple video conferencing designed for your meeting rooms. It's actually more than that, but I'll let him explain what that is. He's got over 1,000 customers and over 70 employees, over $45 million raised. Uh, according to Crunchbase, Sean, how's it going?
0: Uh, it's going great. Thanks a lot for having me on, Eric. Looking forward to the conversation.
1: Yeah, thanks for being here. So why don't you give us a little background about kind of who you are and and what you do and your background looks really interesting.
0: Sure. we well, I've been in the world of technology and startups for my entire career. For the last fifteen or so years, I've been in the world of communication and collaboration. after a couple of uh, startups stints, I ended up at Microsoft. Uh, where I was working on uh, some products that some of you may be familiar with, products like Microsoft SharePoint, Microsoft SQL Server. I ended up leaving Microsoft uh, to start a company called DocVerse. And uh, that company did pretty well. We got into market and uh, Google came along and said, hey, why don't you do this part of us? They ended up acquiring the company. That ended up being a pretty uh, great outcome mostly because the product that we had built at DocVerse essentially became or got turned into Google Drive Ah. at uh, Google. And, uh, you know, I think most of your users or most of your listeners are probably familiar with that product, uh, which is a pretty exciting experience. Uh, As part of that, I ended up running Google Enterprise Apps, where uh, we got to be on the forefront of uh, companies moving their information and their IT systems to the cloud. We ended up, uh, ended up doing that for a few years and uh, after seeing a whole bunch of interesting technology inside Google uh, and after seeing the way we communicated at Google, ended up stumbling upon the idea for High Five, uh, which was a short five years ago at this point. And so we saw a pretty remarkable opportunity to help change and improve the way that people communicate at work today uh, and saw a remarkable opportunity to build something fantastic. Uh, inspired by what we saw inside Google. And so off we went and started uh, a new company. Uh, So now it's been five years. Uh, We're uh, growing fast. We uh, actually now have 2,000 customers. Wow. And still growing. And uh, you should see a lot of uh, great things for us as we uh, get gear up for 2018.
1: Awesome. 2,000 customers, over 2,000 amazing. I mean, what other numbers can you share around the business? Anything around growth rates, revenues, whatever you can disclose?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, while we're not uh, we're not sharing explicit, precise revenue numbers, but what I can tell you is we grew by over 170% on a revenue basis year over year from last year to, to this year. So that's been uh, that's been absolutely stellar for us. We're a hardware software company that uh, looks like a SaaS based business. We now are handling over 150,000 meetings a month. That's across these 2,000 companies that I was mentioning. We are uh, on pace to do 200 million call minutes per year. uh, And all of those numbers are up uh, over 170, 180 percent year over year. So uh, we're seeing some pretty phenomenal signs of growth right now. And and I think
1: we've stumbled onto a solution to a problem that's, uh, that's, that's long needed to be solved. Got it. Actually, before I jump into that question, I'm looking at this this TechCrunch article written by Michael Arrington in in uh, 2009. Google acquired Docverse. The purchase price is supposed to be around 25 million. True or false? Uh,
0: it was uh, it was in that ballpark. Yeah. I mean, there, it depends <laughs> on what, what what you include and count in there. But yeah, it was in that ballpark.
1: Got it. Okay, great. So I, I think what many people are probably thinking, because I have a lot of, there's a lot of SaaS entrepreneurs that are on this podcast, but we don't get many guys that, you know, talk about starting a hardware software company. And that seems like, you know, a huge undertaking and seems really complex. I mean, probably people, at, at least I'm thinking like, okay, well, you know, there's a lot of competitors out there. They build the software. Couldn't you just partner up with some hardware company and, and get going? I mean, why why build a hardware company?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, I'd never... Me or my co-founder, we'd never done anything that required hardware before. And so I think the way I would summarize it is it is a lot easier to go build a hardware-enabled or a hardware-anchored company today than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. There's a whole bunch of infrastructure scaffolding, all of that, in ways that it wouldn't have even been feasible 10, 15 years to do the kinds of things that we can do today. That said... It is incredibly hard Uh, over the last five years. We've learned a whole bunch of things, and particularly when it comes to B2B SaaS, there aren't too many examples to rely on whenever you look around for people that have done the hardware software thing before. So there's a lot you just have to figure out for the first time. And so uh, it turns out it really is hard. And so I think the assessment of how hardware or incorporating hardware raises the difficulty associated with their with their startup company, it is absolutely true. And there's a whole bunch of things you have to think through and figure out that uh, you know, are not immediately obvious uh, whenever you're thinking about uh, creating a pure software company. Uh, now, what, what led us to creating hardware was really about the insight that led to us solving a problem that we set out to solve. I think the problem that we set out to solve is pretty familiar to anybody who's ever gone into an office before. Anybody who's ever been in an office has spent the first 15 minutes of every meeting going through the chaos of trying to get everybody connected. You have to download apps, you have to get people dialed in, you have to get your screen share, you have to get your screen up onto the TV, you have to uh, make sure that everybody has the right pin code and passcode. And so it's a, it's a range of problems that every single person who's ever worked in an office is familiar with and has uh, remarked that someone should go out and fix this problem. When we set out to solve this problem, The big insight that we had was that the way we meet today is fundamentally different than the way we used to meet 15 or 20 years ago. And the core insight that we had was that the normal meeting today required flexibility for people needing to join that conversation. So imagine a typical four or five person meeting today. Well, what you typically see is a few people that are sitting in the office that meet in a conference room. And you have a few people that are working remotely that might need to either join in off their laptop or mobile devices, or they need to maybe dial in while they're driving down the road. That's the normal meeting today. So how do you create a product that lets a group of people, distributed people, connect to each other? And the core insight was we had to solve that physical conference room problem right alongside with the mobile problem of somebody trying to join in off their laptop. And what that led us to is recognizing that the only way to solve the problem was to build purpose-built hardware for the situation where you've got physical people sitting in the same room and software that people use when they have their laptop or mobile phones in front of them. And it turns out this pattern is showing up in all other aspects of our lives as well. If you think about what's happening at home, you've got Apple TV working with iTunes You've got Google Home working with the Google Cloud services. You've got Apple connecting to Apple Music. So you've got this ecosystem of hardware and software coming together to solve problems. And the big recognition for us was, well, we need to solve the problem. What's the best way to solve that problem? And we were almost forced into saying, well, the best way to solve that problem is to really work with and build an experience that brings together hardware and software.
1: Got it. Makes sense. So I think for those people that are wondering how to start, you know, a hardware company, I mean, what are some, I guess, you know, what were you studying to and, and learning from? Uh, who are you learning from to, to get going with this, this stuff? Because you started from nothing, right?
0: Yeah. So I think there's a few different things that I would do. I think number one is – never to adopt the mindset that it's going to be really really hard and that you don't really know what you're getting into. And so it's really important to start there, particularly for people that uh, have haven't done anything with uh, hardware before like uh, like we were uh, like the situation we were in. Now, I think the second piece is to recognize that it's going to require capital. And you know, I think if you're starting a pure hardware company, one that doesn't have a subscription component, that is a very different proposition and I think in a lot of ways Really hard and may not even be totally practical these days. You look at GoPro, you look at Fitbit. These are all companies that do need to evolve their service sides of their business. Jawbone was the ultimate example of a company that just couldn't quite make it work after 12, 13 years. And so I think you have to recognize that the business models associated with hardware are, are really hard, and that just building a consumer hardware company that's going to go compete in some space against Apple, that's going to be exceedingly challenging, maybe almost to the point of not even particularly practical these days. So I think you got to start with mindset. I think if you get over that hurdle, and if you decide to ignore my advice, <laughs> trying to dissuade you from doing hardware. Then you passed test number one and, 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 and recognize that, OK, I can't do this thing without building the hardware. So then what you need to do is go surround yourself by people that have done it before. We were really lucky. Uh, and part of you know, the fact that I've been doing startups for a while meant that I was able to rely on a network of friends that had all created successful companies around building hardware. Uh, we were lucky. We ended up getting uh, some uh, very uh, uh, reasonably high profile investors, advisors that had all done uh, and built hardware companies before. And so that was really step number two. And then I think step number three was, well, you just have to hire the right people. Now, the reality is in our company, we're predominantly a software company. We have essentially a couple of people that run our hardware program, but we work with a network of partners to go really produce our hardware. And so you have to look at whether hardware is your true differentiator or is it the end-to-end experience that's your differentiator and allocate your resources and hire accordingly. If hardware is going to be, you know, the real differentiator where you're going to have to build chips and, you know, custom hardware that, uh, that really is going to make the difference in your company, that's a very different kind of company than the kind where you're going to take off-the-shelf parts, you're going to assemble them into a new type of product and then get that out into market. Those are two very different strategies, and you have to think about what ultimately is right
1: for your company. Got it. And how did you find these hardware partners? Like, where can someone go?
0: Yeah, it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of just networking and word of mouth. It's amazing to me that uh, that you know it's not much more mature or sophisticated than uh, than you might expect. But it's who should we talk to? How do we get connected to this person? We happened to meet one of our first partners at CES. Uh, we ended up making a list of um, of uh, CM partners, uh, uh, um, contract manufacturing partners in Asia, uh, and ended up just reaching out and pitching them much, much in the same way that you go and pitch venture capitalists for for investment money for them to take on your project because there's a whole set of constraints for them to take on, you know, what is initially low volume products. Uh, that come from startup companies, and so you have to go and figure out how you're gonna attract them to to want to take your take your uh, project a, at all. And so uh, a lot of it is just pounding the pavement, going to Asia, going to conferences, going to CES, uh, talking to other companies, figuring out who they worked with, figuring out what the differences are between companies, doing your diligence. And you know just to give you a little bit of a, a harrowing story, I mean we had a contract manufacturing partner that was lined up, and we had been talking to about five different partners. And we had one that was lined up, ready to take our business. They didn't admit this to us, but apparently Apple uh, was getting ready to roll out. At this time, I think it was some old, some previous version of uh, an iPhone. And uh, they ended up giving part of that project to them. And uh, all of a sudden, they went radio silent in us right when we were getting ready to commit to going into to development together. Uh, And we lost uh, lost our partner. And so in 24 hours, we, you know, I was talking to our my head of hardware. And in 24 hours, we jumped on a plane, went to Taiwan, went down the list of all the other partners we were talking with. And 36 hours later, came back with a contract with uh, somebody else. And, you know, at the end of the day, it was uh, it was it's a messy process. And you just have to realize that it's just like everything else. There's no exact formula. You just have to hit the pavement and do the work to find uh, the people that are going to make the difference for what you're trying to build.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, it's a grind, right? I think people aren't willing to, sometimes people want the the easy way out and the shortcuts or or the hacks. And when you talk about going to the conferences, for example, people might think, oh, he's saying networking, like, you know, that's easier said than done. But like at the end of the day, the the people that I see that do the best with these building relationships, networking, whatever you want to call it, these are the people that are at CES that stay all the way to the very end. They go to all the parties. They <laughs> hammer it out until 2 or 3 A.M. Because they know like at that you know, the people that make it to 2 or 3 A.M., you might just get that one relationship, right? And it sounds like you're you're that kind of guy.
0: I think that's right. I think there's a difference between going out and building relationships and building your address book versus having a directed motivation behind what you're trying to achieve. And so to give you an idea, yep. you know, if you're looking for a partner to go build out some part of your hardware-based product that you're trying to do, go find other companies that are doing anything remotely similar. Who do they work with? Who do they talk to? Would it make sense for you? And go do that 10 times, 15 times, 20 times, and then all of a sudden you're going to start to see patterns. And that's how you can start to at least make some decisions. And not to say that'll be the right decision, but having some directed focus around what you are trying to to achieve is is oftentimes an asset, but there's no substitute for just getting out there and you know starting to ask questions and coming from an informed place. And so, uh, no, absolutely. I mean, you just have to to get out and do the work. The, the answers aren't aren't necessarily readily available. Now, what I'll say is there has been a lot of progress in the last five years since even we started the company around organizations that can help you short circuit a lot of the learning curve. You know, you have incubators that are focused on hardware. You've got venture capital firms that uh, think more explicitly about hardware enabled ecosystems that can help short circuit a lot of that these days. But at the end of the day, it's still so, I think, we still haven't reached the level of maturity where you say, here's a product spec, somebody, you know, will pick that up and go off and build it. We haven't quite gotten there yet.
1: Got it. Great. One thing we didn't touch upon really quick, I mean, how do you guys make money? How does pricing work? Yeah.
0: So uh, that was uh, a big area of innovation for us. And so, you know, what we landed on in hindsight seems really simple and obvious. But it's interesting that the journey for us to figure that out took some time. It took some iteration to work out. And and that was not without pain. We uh, we started the company. We spent the first two and a half years really in R&D. We ended up spending a lot of time during this phase also reaching out to customers, testing value props, and trying to understand how we were going to position ourselves in the market. And uh, eventually we got into market, and we spent the first year really iterating on figuring out the business model. Now, we knew that we had this hardware component, and we had the software component, and the original plan was to sell the hardware the way that customers typically buy hardware, and to sell the software on a per-user-per-month basis, the way that people to, to you know are accustomed to buying software. And that was part of the plan the whole time. The thing that was interesting was in this category, which is not a new category, It's got there, there's a whole bunch of incumbent companies, customers were used to buying that way, but they would piece together their solutions from multiple vendors. They would go to their hardware guys and they would buy hardware with them the way that you normally buy hardware. Yep. You would go to the software guys and you would buy software from them the, the way that you'd normally buy software. But the value prop that we offered was the integration of the two. We had hardware that was not quite as feature-rich as all the things that you could get from a pure hardware vendor. We had software that didn't have all the features that you would get from some of the other software providers that you might uh, go to in this category, whether it was WebEx or GoToMeeting or any of those tools that we're all familiar with. The value prop that we were offering was the integration of the two. So it took us a while to really understand, well, how do we get our pricing model to line up with that value prop? And what we landed on was essentially a pricing model that bundled all of our hardware and software together. We end up selling today on a per room per month basis. So you figure out how many rooms inside your company you want to deploy high five in. And with that, you get an unlimited user license to use the software across every single person in your company. No additional charges. As part of that single subscription price, uh, you get hardware included with no upfront cost. You get unlimited this unlimited user license and you get unlimited minutes. So you're not charged on a per minute basis. So there's no nickel and diming. And so the way we sell today is we have uh, four different packages of products that we sell. Uh, they range anywhere from $99 per room per month up to $329 per room per month. They vary in different hardware configurations and different service configurations. Uh, And it's kind of like getting uh, bronze, uh, bronze, silver, gold, platinum pricing, depending on what set of functionality you need for your organization. And that model has been working incredibly well. It's easy, it's simple, it's transparent, and it actually lets conferencing turn into a true collaboration product that you can deploy across your entire organization, and it's something that nobody has really done before. And figuring that out actually was a process for us. But uh, since we figured that out, uh, growth has just been on a tear. And over the last uh, two years, we're you know among the fastest companies uh, to grow and scale our revenues
1: by most SaaS metrics. And uh, we've been very pleased with the results. I mean, how how do you, your your competitors charge on a per seat basis, just as an example? Yeah. So.
0: What you tend to find, if you look at companies like WebEx or GoToMeeting or even more uh, more recently companies like Zoom, what they will do is they'll have a free version of your product that is severely limited. You can't have meetings that are more than 30 minutes long or 40 minutes long. If you go long, you know, a credit card notification will pop up and say, hey, pop in your credit card so you can keep having your meeting. And then you decide how many users you're going to buy a user license for. Well, I've got a 100-person company or I've got a 500-person company. Well, if I have to buy a license for every single user, then it's going to cost me anywhere from $20 to $40 per user per month. And then, you know, I decide to do that. And I decide, well, I've got all these people that are power users. I'll buy licenses for them. For all the people that are not power users, I'm not going to buy licenses for them. So when they need to use the system, then, you know, they end up sharing a license with somebody else. And that creates this whole administration headache. And then on top of that, it's, oh, I need people to be able to dial in. Okay, so let me buy a package of audio minutes on top of that. Uh, I'll buy a package of 1,000 minutes, and then if I go over that, now I have to pay you know an additional five cents per minute after that. Uh, if I want to buy a recording, well, I have to pay for how much storage uh, uh, that I'm going to use as part of my recording. If I'm going to buy some improved in, uh, uh, administration features, well, i got to go pay for that. And so you get this nickel and diming invoice thing and all of a sudden before you know it, you don't know exactly what you're getting charged for. Uh, You don't know exactly how many people are uh, licensed or should be licensed. And so whenever you buy a piece of software, you end up in this kind of complicated billing relationship uh, that turns into a whole process in and of itself. And from our perspective, we just do away with all that.
1: Yeah, it just makes life a lot easier because you guys actually, you guys are working together and collaborating instead of, again, yeah, we're in the same exact boat, right? We are using one of those tools and it's like, oh, should we get this? Should we not? You know, But it's like, you guys are aligned, right?
0: When the iPod came out, one of the things that Apple did really brilliantly was they didn't say, hey, here's an iPod and here's the version that has uh, 128 gigabytes. Here's a version that has 256 gigabytes here's a version that has 512 gigabytes what they said was okay use your ipod however you want don't worry about the storage just tell us do you want to buy the version that can support 500 songs at a time a thousand songs at a time or 5,000 songs at a time uh these days google talks about uh phones that support an infinite number of photos on your uh on your uh, device so the the value prop is tied to the thing that you're using it for And in our particular case, we just say, hey, look, how many rooms do you want high five in? Deploy the software to everybody in your organization, whether they're a power user or not. And that way you don't have to worry about whether the tool is going to be uh, 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 something that is licensed appropriately or not. Just use it as much as you can. And all of our interests are aligned with a successful deployment inside your company.
1: Love it. That's great. Yeah. So switching gears here, I mean, what's, what do you think is the biggest struggle you face while growing this particular business?
0: I think for us, the biggest challenge for us has been the process associated with figuring out things that hadn't been figured out before. I think from the get go, one of the things that we knew very well, very early on was product definition. I think we got the product definition, the product spec. I think we got that right. And it took us a few years to really build up to that maturity, so there was a big R&D curve associated with that. But then there were very few examples to point to that had brought together hardware and software to solve a particular problem. And so that translated to a process associated with having to, you know, iterate on our business model. And that took, you know, that 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 took a significant amount of time. And so I think figuring out how to answer not only the product side of it, but the business model side of it and getting all of that to work together in harmony, I think that was the biggest challenge because that shows up in all kinds of weird ways in your company when you're trying to figure out what you scale, when you scale, how you scale. And we've now reached a point where we said, hey, look, we've gotten to a point now, products figured out, or at least product has is, is reached a very healthy level of maturity. We think we've got the best product in the category now business model is now figured out there's no risk around that now we got to go hit the gas and figure out how we continue to grow and scale and keep growing by 100% a year year over year or more and so i think getting to that point where we said where we had the confidence both in the product and the business model and how we get our product out to market i think that that was the biggest challenge and that required a lot of cultural impact team learning how do you manage through that kind of uncertainty which is a different kind of uncertainty that you face when you're trying to scale. And so, really getting all of those variables matched up and lined up internally, I think I'd
1: characterize that as our largest challenge. My God, a lot of moving parts. A lot of moving parts:
0: hardware, software, enterprise, SaaS, customer success, sales, marketing. Turns out, we just have a lot of variables that need to come together to make our engine working. Uh, to make our engine work. Yeah. And I think really that's probably the best description of uh, of the biggest challenge that we've had to solve.
1: So, I mean, speaking of, of, and there's a couple of things I want to touch upon here, I mean, talking about marketing a little bit, uh, what's working or even just customer acquisition, what's one kind of effective thing that's working well for you right now?
0: Well, the biggest effective thing is rooted in the thesis behind High Five, which is this technology, this product should be easy to try, it should be easy to use, it should be easy to deploy, and it should be easy to buy across all those spectrums. And there's not a single product in this category that really checks the box on all of those different dimensions. And so from a marketing perspective, I think the thing that works really well is we let the product lead the way toward all of our sales. And so our goal is to just identify customers in the market or prospective customers in the market and just get product in front of them. So we'll do 30 day free trials. We'll do 30 day money back guarantees. We'll ship product out. If you like it, great. Keep it. Buy more. If you don't like it, send it back to us. And we want to understand why you send it back to us so that we can keep getting better. But I think the the core of what makes our marketing function very well is that we're anchored in this thesis that the product should be the thing that drives customer reactions and customer responses. Uh, And we hold true to that. And so all of our marketing is done online. You know, we are... Taking advantage of SEO and online content, we do uh, some amount of paid advertising as well, but all of that is just geared toward getting people into the free trial process. A lot of our, our uh, marketing is just driven by direct traffic to our website. Uh, we're not we're not doing much more beyond that. People are finding us, and as a result, we let the product lead the way toward sales. And I think uh, I think just holding true to those core values around how this product should be bought and sold is is, uh, is is paying dividends for us.
1: Love it. Okay. Next thing I wanted to touch upon is around you talked about we just agreed on multiple moving parts, right? So you know I think there's the, the there's the entrepreneurial ADD. So how do you deal with that? How do you stay focused because there's just so much stuff you have to deal with?
0: So I think the most important thing that you can do when you're thinking about all of the different moving parts is to create a consistent picture that stitches all of those variables together in a single model, and then you work with your team to figure out which variables you're going to optimize. So in our particular case, just to lay out some of the different variables that we have to stitch together, on the product side, you know, we think about usage, engagement. Uh, we think about what are customer reactions like, what do you know? all of those data points tell us? Now, how does that relate to the business side? Well, on the business side, we think about the entire funnel, front to back, which is how do you go from lead to a sales opportunity to a customer win? And then you don't want to stop there. So how do you go from a customer win to a customer that expands and buys more? And then how do you go from there to a customer that uses more uses their system more, even if they're not expanding. And then you go from there and you say, well, all right, those should be good leading indicators for customers that renew. And so what you want to do is instrument every single step of that process. And then you want to figure out, well, what's being driven by the product side? What's being driven by the sales and marketing side? Which variable makes sense? And what you want to do is construct a model that covers all of your spend associated with sales, marketing support, et cetera. You want to construct a model that covers what you're getting from your customers on a new sale basis, on an expansion basis, on a renewal basis. You want to track all that in one place. And the the tool that's been most effective for us is to just pay attention to uh, the payback on your acquisition cost. So you figure out what your acquisition costs are, figure out what your payback looks like over a period of 12, 24 months, and go figure out how to optimize that down. And I think using a tool like that requires you to connect all those variables together, including, in the case of a hardware software company, things like gross margin, because one of the things we have to think about that software companies don't have to think about is the cost of hardware parts. And so you construct a single model that stitches all that together, make that something that's well understood by your entire senior executive team, talk about it, reinforce it, and then you regularly get together and figure out, well, what's going to be the priority? Which variable are we going to optimize? And you focus on solving each variable, you know, almost one at a time or maybe at most two at a time. And you just make progress towards all of that. And everything else becomes a proxy for one of those variables that you're trying to optimize, whether you're focused on customer success today you're focused on sales tomorrow, you're focused on marketing next quarter, or you're focused on product satisfaction this quarter because that's going to lift all other boats. So I think it's really important to construct that single model and let that be the tool that stitches together your entire organization.
1: And that's led to a huge amount of success and progress for us, particularly over the last couple of years. I think you touched upon a really important point. I think, especially for, for subscription where a SaaS company is listening, it's you know, a lot of a lot of times people are talking about, you know, CAC LTV, but you know, payback period is something that's that's something that can help guide you. I mean, the CAC LTV stuff you might not even figure it out for maybe even two, three years or so, depending on kind of where you're at. But the payback period stuff, it's like that that can be a leading thing and that, that tends to work for you guys, right? So
0: I think that's exactly right. And in fact, I think by solving the payback challenge first and by really ruthlessly prioritizing that, I think the LTV side, while it's a useful and important investor metric over time, from a business perspective, you know, from an operational perspective, the thing that really measures your effectiveness of a company, the effectiveness of the product and the effectiveness of the sales and marketing engine, it's really all buried inside that that payback metric. And you need to do that on a gross margin basis. And if you can drive that down over time and just be super successful on that, you know you're building something that can grow and scale. And I think it's the best measure for how all the different variables in your company come together to, to deliver a product uh, or service into the market. And so I think it's the best measure uh, – or it's the best indicator uh, that, that can, can, can suggest to you, hey, we're ready to grow, grow and scale
1: this. Great. All right. So let's work towards wrapping up here. I mean what's one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone?
0: I'm going to give you two, Eric. Uh, if you're an early stage founder, uh, I think one of the best books that I read was Founders at Work uh, by Jessica Livingston. It's, uh, it might be uh, known to your audience, but uh, great book. the thing I love about that book is it tells you the real stories behind how some of these companies got going. And, you know, it's never as clean and never as shiny as uh, sometimes it might have seen from the outside or sometimes PR might make it. For those that, uh, for those of your listeners that might be in more of a growth and scale mode where you're focused on team building, uh, I just read a book recently that completely and dramatically changed my entire outlook on uh, how I think about the team. Uh, it was a it was a book called uh, The Five Dysfunctions of uh, of a Team.
1: Oh, I just got that. Wow,
0: it's amazing. The book is remarkable. And uh, there's all kinds of things that you can recognize yourselves uh, recognize in yourselves, and uh, uh, I've, uh, I've started to make a mandatory reading among my, uh, my senior team.
1: Oh, that's so interesting. I, I forgot who recommended it, but I ended up buying two copies, and I, I'm about to take off to the airport in a little bit. I, I guess I'm going to swap that book in, so uh, yeah, you just, you just changed the trajectory of my day. That's great.
0: Yeah, the book was fantastic. I uh, I listened to the audio version of it on a uh, bike ride the other day, and uh, it,
1: was, uh, it was it was it's life changing. Cool, awesome man. Well, Sean, this has been fantastic. What's the best way for people to find you online? I'm on LinkedIn. I, you can
0: uh, obviously see me. I tend to be out and about here and there, but uh, certainly uh, you can find my LinkedIn profile. I uh, I'm often you know i I'm, I'm I'm becoming a Twitter user here and
1: there, so you can find me there as well. Great. Sean, thanks so much for doing this. Hey, Eric, thanks a lot. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.